Hello, it's 14th of October 2018 and this is episode 81 of Scavengers Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. So Kirsty, how has your progress been going with this reading challenge? Well, the book has arrived. Okay, progress. Yes, remind the listeners what the book is again. It's um, The Mad Woman in the Attic. So mm-hmm. it's about gothic romances and fiction told with feminine gaze, Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've read a whole few pages of the introduction. Very good. <laughs> it arrived yesterday. So that's all I've been able to do. Likely excuse. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm going to make it my number one priority this week, um, so I should be able to discuss things next week. Okay, How awesome. are you doing with Lost Stars? If you are going to be so dedicated, then I am going to be so dedicated to trying to finish Lost Stars um, before our next show. Because, yeah, I'd say I'm just over the halfway mark, because saying I'm two-thirds of the way through the book is a bit too optimistic. Um, I'm basically up to the point in the action where it corresponds to The Empire Strikes Back in the movies. Mm. Um, and yeah, I'm really enjoying it. There's been lots of very cool developments. And it's getting very twisty. There's also like Trope Town USA. I know, it's the best. I appreciate. Um, <laughs> it's like there's the scene, it was a while ago now, but it sticks in my mind for the tropiness, where there's like a graduation ball and of course, like the romantic leads, they see each other in this mm-hmm. formal wear for the first time and they're like, oh, it's like, have <laughs> my eyes open? <laughs> it's like, yeah. <laughs> it was totally Hermione at the Yule Ball in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, basically. And yeah. I know that's not where that started, but that's the reference point it reminded me of. Yeah, of course. I think that's the one that people point to nowadays. And we almost got that with The Last Jedi. With um, Finn and Rose in Canto Bite, they were originally going to change into formal wear, so Rose would be out of her jumpsuit into like a fancy gown. Oh, waste. <sighs> waste. I know. I know. Boo. <laughs> Love that trope. Yeah, no, it's so good. You never know. Hopefully, there'll be some sort of victory celebration in episode nine where everyone <laughs> will glam up. Maybe. Everyone gets formal wear. <laughs> Yay! That wouldn't be weird. <laughs> Or I'll tell you what, they could have a coronation for Kylo Ren. That would be amazing. What kind of... Oh, you mean like as Supreme Leader? Yeah, as Supreme Leader. I think his coronation was just when he decided to choke Hux. Yeah, but like a formal affair, you know, something to cement it for the like assembled masses. Oh, God. Yeah, Ray could be there undercover in a stunning formal wear gown. And then it would be like some sort of ace style Cinderella. Oh, wow, that sounds grim. It sounds grim? Why? <laughs> yeah. Kylo being crowned supreme leader, that's that's not a good thing. That's not a thing to celebrate. <laughs> we need to get him deposed as soon as possible, okay? <laughs> as soon as possible. No, I know what you mean. Like, for redemption, that would not be a good set piece. But for fan fiction, it's great. Yeah, for fanfic. Right, okay, so then let's move straight into the news. So we have some fresh comments from Oscar Isaac on episode nine. And Oscar's always very um, vocal about things, isn't he, Kirsty? Yeah, he, he's always up for sharing his opinion on things and tell you everything's going well, so. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Would you like to read the quote? Sure, um, so this is from IndieWire. Um, He doesn't sound too worn down by his work on the latest production. The way they've been shooting it right now is looser than it's been for the last two times, he said, clarifying that Abrams has been allowing more improvisation on the set. It does feel like a relief to get on set and feel like, oh, we can try things. It's a testament to JJ coming back and feeling confident. There's less pressure for it to be right. We just want to make a good movie and have a really good time while doing it. Um, And then he goes on to talk more about the improvisation they're doing um often you f- do feel like you've got to find your way to make something more alive but this time it's been the opposite there's no need to smuggle anything in there <laughs> <laughs> and then um they go on to talk about like the backlash to the last jedi and he shrugs it off um luckily since i'm not directing it producing it or distributing it i don't have to worry so much about fan expectations also not all fans have the same expectations 
Thank you, Oscar, for pointing that out because people <laughs> love to talk about the Star Wars fandom as if it's this monolith that all hated The Last Jedi, and that is just so not true. Yes. As we've had backed up by academic research lately. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, lots of us did like the movie. Thank you very much. Um, and then he's talking about just like the, the backlash to Star Wars in general, like even George Lucas went through that. Um, people had very strong feelings, but there wasn't as much of an organized way to speak about it. People that run blogs and websites need content. So it's like, there's some content. Five people on Twitter, hundreds, whatever it is, then you make it into a story. You make a movie and people are supposed to like or not like it or not care about it. Those are the only three options. So it's not shocking that one of those things happened. (laughs) And I appreciate him for saying this and putting it all into perspective because it's like, yeah, some people just didn't like a movie and some people did and some people weren't there on it. Yeah. Exactly. Oscar's been very realistic here, which is nice to see. He's just saying it how it is, basically. Yeah. Which I think we can all appreciate. I think the other actors, when asked about it, have said similar things. Like Donald Gleeson was just like, yeah, of course, like some people don't like it and that's their right. It's only when you use that as an excuse to harass people that it becomes unacceptable. Mm. Um, And that's not how most people will be behaving. Yeah. So that's fine. Um, it is interesting to hear that they're improvising on set, though. That's cool. Yeah, no, that is cool. Like, I do wonder to what extent, though. I guess it means maybe, like, slight modifications of lines and, like, how you, like, physically act out the scene and that sort of thing. Yeah, um, well, do you remember for The Force Awakens, they kept saying that they tried, like, hundreds of different iterations for each scene? I yeah. I think that's what JJ no, that's likes true. to do, and then he pieces it together when he's editing. Because yeah. if you look at something like the interrogation scene, it's actually quite clear that things come from lots of different takes. Yeah. No, that's true. Like, And even when you read the novelization of The Force Awakens, you get to that scene. It's a radically different scene. Mm-hmm. And Alan Dean Foster, when he was writing that novelization, he was, obvi- he was obviously working from a draft of the script. So that was how the scene played out at one stage. But yeah, clearly through JJ's process of adaption and evolving things, it just changed mm-hmm. and it ended up pretty great. So yeah, I have confidence that it's going to be a good approach for him. Yeah, I think JJ just likes to give himself options for later. Yes, so. which is smart because it's all about the editing in film. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> Definitely with Star Wars. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it's just cool to get more nine tidbits trickling through. Keep yes. us happy. <laughs> exactly. Give the dog a morsel, kind of. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything else we can say about that, really, Kirsty? I'm not sure there is. I don't think so. It's pretty yeah. just generic stuff. Speaks but for itself. I, I just want to, like, cover every single bit of Nine we get, because there's been so little lately. Like, JJ really teased us with that one photo he posted on Twitter, like, making us think that we were going to get this steady drip. Like Ron Howard did, like Ryan did to an extent, and then nothing. (laughs) Yep, a big fat zero. Yeah, come on, JJ. Give us a bone. Yeah. No, it's sad. (laughs) Um, Right. Okay, and then the next thing that we'd like to talk about is that Chuck Wendig, who is a Star Wars author, has been fired by Marvel... Um, which basically means for Star Wars purposes that he's been taken off an unannounced Star Wars project as well as issues 4 and 5 of the Shadow of Vader series which we were only talking about just last week actually so it shows how quickly things can change Um, but yeah I was wondering if you could elaborate Kirsty and just explain what's happened to people who might not be aware or might not be on Twitter Yeah, so it was a couple of days ago, I think on the 12th, um, when Chuck Wendig posted this um, thread on Twitter about what happened. Um, It starts with, so here's a thing that has happened. I just got fired from Marvel, taken off issues four and five of Shadow of Vader and taken off an as yet unannounced Star Wars book. This might be a long thread, so apologies in advance. Um, And he goes on to say like he hesitates to talk about it, but I'm actually glad that he really did put this out in the open because it's created a lot of discussion around it and obviously people have their own opinions on it and I totally get it if our audience 
members think differently to it than, than we do. Um, it's kind of this hot button issue because it relates to a lot of what's going on in American politics right now. But essentially, if you don't follow Chuck on Twitter, he's always been uh, very vocal about his political beliefs. And if you've read any of his Star Wars content, um, you'll know that he is pretty renowned for introducing LGBT characters, for being a vocal proponent of um, diversity in general. Mm -hmm. And um, it's kind of clear that as a result, you could see this happening over the past couple of years. Like you don't need to be told, but if if you're not on social media, maybe people just weren't aware that he has faced harassment from people for years and years over this. Mm. Um, there are endless YouTube videos about how he's such an SJW um, mm. and shouldn't be writing Star Wars because of forced diversity and all this nonsense. Um, and he doesn't back down. He he just says what he thinks. And he can get pretty intense about it and he curses and can be quite vulgar. But that's kind of how he's always been. That's his voice. And mm. he's never pretended otherwise. Yeah. And presumably Marvel knew that about him when they hired him. Yeah. Um, and Del Rey certainly did. So for the Star Wars books. Mm. And um, they've actually come out and said that this isn't anything to do with them. So it's it's Marvel that have done this. Mm. And uh, it just kind of concerns me, to be honest. Because if this is a straight, white, cis man who is an ally and a vocal ally, which I really appreciate, but apparently this is the consequence for being vocal about that kind of thing. Um, mm. That you can be fired because you pissed off some trolls on the internet. Yeah. Like, that's scary to me. Because if no. that can happen to him, no. what does it mean for the people of colour who write for Marvel or the queer people who write for Marvel? Like, it, yeah. I'm just, I'm worried now. Yeah, no, it is worrying. I, I can't remember the names in question, but I have seen some other articles where they've stated that um, this Chuck Wendig firing isn't the only thing to come out of Marvel like this. There have been other cases where like politically outspoken creators have basically had their work from Marvel stopped because Marvel didn't approve of that. So it definitely seems to be a Marvel issue, shall we say. Um, and I have seen that... Um, that there's actually a really interesting and lengthy Vulture article on the situation that's called Why Did Marvel Fire Comics Writer Chuck Wendig? And I'd recommend people checking it out if they're interested. And that makes a very good but troubling observation, which is that Marvel's chairman and CEO, Ike Palmutter, is a close friend of Donald Trump and allegedly co-runs the Department of Veterans Affairs, despite not being an official member of the cabinet. (laughs) So, yeah. Like, I'm not saying that (laughs) Donald Trump fired Chuck Wendig or anything like that, but if that is the position of the person who's at the very top of the company, then it would make sense for Marvel to get a bit queasy about people who are being politically outspoken, especially for the left and for progressive views. Which, yeah, as you said, Kirsty is very worrying. Yeah, I mean, I saw the other day, I hadn't noticed this as it was happening, but in one of these articles about Chuck Wendig, I saw that Ben Shapiro had quote tweeted him. So it's like voices who are prominent in the conservative sphere picked up on mm. what he was saying. So it's actually quite plausible to me that lots of people who aren't really anything even to do with Star Wars might have found it yeah. and then had things to say. And it must have amplified the harassment that he received. Yes. Um, so, yeah. I, I just... I know that others will feel differently about how maybe he had it coming because of the tone that he would use a lot of the time. But I honestly think that we are so past worrying about that kind of thing in American politics. Things are that dire. Mm. And the kind of anger that Chuck expresses, that's how I feel too. Yeah. I am sometimes too scared to voice things that way, but every day when I wake up and read the news, that's how I feel. I <laughs> scream sometimes. Mm. It's just, it's hard to accept what's going on. You don't want to accept it, and we shouldn't. Yeah. But that's what people like Chuck are standing for. And then this is the consequence of that, and it terrifies me because who cares if he's being vulgar, honestly? 
Obviously, some mm. people do, but I, I just I think the con the content of what someone's saying should matter, and it shouldn't be considered equal for someone to say someone's a fucking racist versus someone who is actually being a fucking racist. That's yeah. not the same thing. That it concerns me that some people think that it is the same thing. It's like you're being just as bad by calling someone a racist than the person who's actually being racist in the first place. Yeah. That is worse. Yeah. That is bad. It doesn't actually matter if someone's being vulgar when they call someone out for being racist. It's the racism that's the problem. Yeah. And you'd think that would be self-evident, but apparently not. Oh, it's 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 not at all. Um and yeah, that's incredibly depressing. So uh, yeah. I don't really have much more coherent things to say about this. It's just it's deeply worrying to me. Yeah. Um I think that authors should be allowed to have social media platforms and of course we should be free to disagree with them. Yeah. There are plenty of other Star Wars authors where I no, not necessarily politically, but I don't agree with them on things even related to Star Wars. Like yeah. they'll they'll hate a character that I love and I I'll read a scene differently from how they read a scene, but that's that's okay. <laughs> you know, like it's okay for people to disagree about things. Yeah. But when it comes to politics and someone's using their social media to stand up to racism and misogyny and homophobia and that is punished by them being fired, that's terrifying. Yeah, no, it's messed up. So, yeah. Yeah. Not good. Exactly. Like I say, hopefully we'll get news about a new Chuck Wendig book or something coming out soon. And, like, I won't lie and pretend I've read the Aftermath books. I think I read part of Empire's End, but I haven't read the others, so I can't pretend to be very familiar with his work. But I do admire him for being out there and being outspoken about the things he's passionate about and the things he believes in especially in the face of the resistance he gets i think that's really cool and yeah it's nice to see that his del rey editor is really standing by him so hopefully he'll get more styles work despite the marvel situation yeah i think people might have got confused when he said something about it being unannounced um it's not quite clear whether that refers to a Marvel comic book or a book like how someone might actually think of a book like mm. another you know kind of aftermath thing but I, I think I read that in the comics world you just say a book you don't necessarily say comic book so people have well, said that they believe he's just referring to an, a comic book that's been cancelled not a book book right that's how I understood it but I think other people might have taken it and ran with it and think that that means that Del Rey fired him or whatever. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. It's not the situation. Yeah, I was expecting at some point to get more about Ray Sloan, you know, that sort of thing. So he'd be the perfect person to write it. Yeah, no, definitely. Ray Sloan's a really interesting character. Yeah, I mean, I, I've read the whole Aftermath trilogy and I actually think he had a pretty tough job writing those first... I mean, Aftermath is the first book of the new canon. Yes. Right? So... That's that's an incredibly hard undertaking. Yeah, no, it's very tricky. And it's the sort of thing where it was never going to win because it was never really going to get into the nitty gritty that people most wanted to read about. You know, it wasn't going to get into this is what Luke, Leia and Han were doing right up until The Force Awakens. You know, it doesn't fill in every yeah. detail. Yeah, I think that's what people were hoping for. And then obviously they couldn't go into that because it would spoil things for the sequel trilogy. So. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't go there. Um, right. Then the next story that we want to talk about is that Taika Waititi and Bryce Dallas Howard have both been rumoured to be acting in the Mandalorian TV series from Jon Favreau, as well as directing episodes. So yeah, this comes from the blog Discussing Film, which is a relatively low-key source, but they've had a few things about the Mandalorian and... They're certainly speaking with confidence, so it's worth entertaining the rumours, and then we can see how things pan out. Yeah, I I only saw this because Jason Ward retweeted it, which would suggest that he's heard similar things. Right, um, okay. So that's the reason that I noticed it and I'm taking it seriously. Yep. I, I didn't know the blog otherwise. 
yeah, no, that makes sense. It has some sort of second-hand verification. Uh, yeah, so this is what the report says. Taika Waititi and Bryce Dallas Howard will not only direct episodes of the show, but also are rumoured to have roles in it too. Bryce's role is unknown, however the rumour with Taika's character is that he will voice a droid in the series. Both of these roles will not be lead roles though. It's unknown as of now who will be the lead in the series, however. Yeah, and then the article goes on to say that We have now also heard that Jon Favreau may have a role in the show. What his role is what his role will be is currently unknown but I imagine it won't be anything large yeah so of course there's not much to go on here in terms of specifics but I I will just say that it's talent and talent is always good um, <laughs> of these three I'm most familiar with Bryce Dallas Howard as an actor and she's never like blown me away I've never seen like an amazing Bryce Dallas Howard performance because most of the stuff I've seen her in has been like the blockbuster stuff you know like the Jurassic World and that sort of thing but she's been fine and I like her as a presence so yeah I'd be curious to find out who she's playing but beyond that I can't really elaborate I don't have many opinions. Yeah I almost expected that Taika would be in the the series because he's in a lot of his own stuff. Um, Yes. Yeah he was in Ragnarok as Korg so yeah I, you know, this this seems to make sense to me. And Bryce is obviously an actress, so why not put her in there? Um, and likewise with John Favreau. Um, it's nice to cut these little bits because there are rumours about casting, but um, these, as the article notes, are probably going to be very minor parts. So still waiting on that casting announcement. <laughs> yeah, it's getting weirder and weirder now as the filming goes on. It's like, how much longer are they realistically going to keep it quiet for? Yeah, we are so impatient. <laughs> yeah, we're impatient, but it's also a question of controlling the narrative. Because do they really want the actors to be leaked via blurry photos taken by Jason Ward? And well, posted on nothing his major has been to that effect. Like, he's had, like, minor suggestions. Or uh, maybe Pedro Pascal, he, he was like, that's a starring role. But, um, yeah, they haven't been confirming a big name. So yeah. I don't know, I guess I'd just say that it's only a matter of time before someone sure. sees something, you know, so it's like, why not just say it? Maybe it's because they don't have it all locked down. So I guess with TV, because the because of the way they film it, it's not like they film things in order and a major cast member might not come in until episode three and so they might still be casting them, that sort of thing. They probably also wanted people focusing on resistance. Yeah, that's it's true. Like one thing at a time. <laughs> Right, and then the final thing we want to talk about in the news section is that Jon Favreau has teased some props that are to be used in his new TV show. So yeah, would you like to elaborate, Kirsty? Yeah, so you know, last week we were talking about the Shadow of Vader series, which we've already mentioned, and mm-hmm. one of the characters that that's focusing on is someone called Wilro Hood. Mm-hmm. And we both said that we hadn't heard of him. Right. Um, we... we did know and know who he was it turned out but that was because we only associate him with the ice cream machine <laughs> <laughs> and the weird people who like dress up as him and, and run in a crowd at celebration which is always kind of fun and goofy <laughs> but it's like this big thing in fandom right so it's obviously like this super minor character in the background not even really a character an extra yeah but as star wars fandom does it takes it and runs with it literally and you know has fun so that's good mm-hmm. but Essentially, what I'm getting to is that John Favreau had posted a picture of that ice cream making machine on Instagram, mm-hmm. um, which kind of suggests that it might be used for the show. Although he might have also just been exploring props in the in the archives. Who knows? Yes. Um. So people who were in the know immediately were like, "Wilro Hood," and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's who that guy is." So, oh, right. Yeah. Then it made sense. Yeah. Yeah, and then he also posted. Um, Boba Fett's weapon from the animated part of the holiday special, you know, when he's like riding the pink dinosaur. <laughs> yes. Which is my favourite Boba Fett, I've got to say, because it's just bizarre. Yes. Um, like all of the holiday full... special. Yeah, we're going to do a full, full rewatch soon and talk about it more in depth. But if people haven't seen it, you can just watch that short section on YouTube and it's a treat. <laughs> but basically, I wanted to talk about this because not it's not news per se, but it's something that's getting a lot of people really excited because they recognise these references. And for a second, I was just like, huh? What? Mm. 
maybe I'm not a real fan because I don't know what this is or like what it's supposed to tell us about his show. Yeah. <laughs> so sorry to be a bit of a Debbie Downer. <laughs> yeah, no. I feel the same. Like, don't get me wrong, I'm looking forward to The Mandalorian. But this is the sort of thing where I look at it and I'm like, mm, if there's too much of this, I'm really not sure how much this is going to be a show for me. Because if it's just going to be a show that relies on having all these like visual nods and like appealing to, like, in air quotes, hardcore Star Wars fans, which is to say the people who know the minutiae of the old films and are obsessed with all the trivia and all the visual references and stuff. If it's going to be really geared towards that crowd and about satisfying them and making people go like, oh, I recognise that thing and that thing and that thing. I, I, I would just feel like its focus was completely in the wrong place. And don't get me wrong, I think there can be some of that and that's perfectly reasonable and fine. It's fun to have some fun nods to the fans. But it's just when I see this posted as some of the first teases of this whole show I just look at it and I'm like "Mm, I don't know (laughs) yeah I don't know why it's so funny to me but I think it's because it almost feels like the inevitable next step of this like YouTube easter egg fascination with storytelling Mm. that the creators themselves would preemptively point them out to us instead of the audience picking up on them themselves and then running with it yeah like it just seems back to front but maybe the way it was always going to go, that it's like, hey guys, check out these Easter eggs of the show you haven't seen yet. Yeah. Like, that's not... <laughs> yeah, it's weird. It's like and a I... weird CinemaSins um, element at work in fandom, I guess. I don't yeah. know. We are such, like, old biddies complaining about everything, but <laughs> it's how we feel, because it's just not... It's It's how a lot of the fandom, obviously, or not a lot of the fandom, it's how, like, that... YouTube gatekeeping corner of fandom loves to look at this stuff. And I totally yeah. don't begrudge other people for getting excited about this stuff. If you're a big Boba Fett fan, you immediately recognise that weapon. You might have even theorised that they were going to use it and then got excited when you saw that it was right. Yeah. Or you love the holiday special or you love Will Rowe Hood. That is totally cool. Mm. That must be really exciting for those people. But it's the, it's this culture of like, oh, I'm going to point this out to you so that you know I'm a true fan and trust me to direct Star Wars that I think will alienate a lot of maybe newer fans or people who they would like to maybe, or they would want to, should want to attract to create Star Wars, who maybe aren't what you would immediately think of someone to be the person to direct the new Star Wars. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, not just people who need to prove themselves as true fans of the original trilogy and the holiday special and all this like weird niche stuff. Yeah. No, that... That's basically how I feel. And, like, obviously I know you were kidding, but I really don't think we sound like old biddies when we're talking about this stuff. Yeah, we are, like, complaining, but I think it's complaining about the fact that it's again, seems to be this retreat into nostalgia and retreat into the familiar. And for me, it also plays into this whole idea of there being a certain type of hardcore Star Wars fan who this is appealing to, and those people are the true Star Wars fans, the people who will see these images and recognize what the things are and it's almost like saying this show's for you we have you covered and it's like okay that's fine you can have those people covered but you also need to remember to cover a much wider group of people because if you're really just going to appeal to that segment of the fan base your audience is going to wither (laughs) eventually to be honest it needs to go beyond that yeah and i don't think i don't want to give off the vibe that we're taking this as like proof that there won't be good storytelling or we won't enjoy the story or the characters or any of the stuff that actually matters yeah yeah this stuff probably is just window dressing but i think you're right that because it's like one of the first few official things that we're seeing um like this is how john favreau is choosing to be like oh look i'm working on this story um maybe it's because it is inconsequential stuff that will just be in the background and it doesn't actually spoil anything about the story so it's safe to share now but it is just like these little references to things that most people won't understand so yeah it is alienating to some degree yeah i don't know i guess it's just like you know that ryan johnson was obviously posting those cryptic images from the last jedi set 
It's, it would be sort of like him posting a photo of Yoda's cane. <laughs> like, and then with no comment and just leaving that as a tease. Of course, he wouldn't have done that because Yoda was a big secret in that movie and there was no way he would have revealed that in that way. But I don't know. There was just something about the approach to that film where the emphasis was on the mystery and the freshness. Like, it obviously still had the normal Star Wars paraphernalia, but it wasn't like it was spotlighting specific like items that fans would recognize in their own right does that make sense mm-hmm. it's like i'm still looking forward to it and i'm very interested and excited by the choices of directors as we spoke about last last time i just yeah things like this make me feel a bit nervous so we will see how things develop basically mm-hmm. yeah keeping an open mind exactly and then we can move on to a part of the episode that we're really excited to talk about, which is that the new Star Wars TV show Resistance has premiered. And I think it's safe to say we both really like it. Is that yes, true, Yes, we do. Yeah. Yay! So much more than I was even daring to hope for, to be honest. Yeah, like, definitely. Like, every second was a joy. Yeah. It's like Pete, anyone who's listened to this podcast for a while knows that I've never really been able to get into the Star Wars animation. I've never, to be honest, given it a serious try with Clone Wars or Rebels. I've watched a few episodes of both those series, but I've never like really applied myself to it. But yeah, I sat down to watch Resistance and yeah, I think this is my gateway to Star Wars animation at last. Yay! And I don't know. I I think it's several things. I think for a start is that is in a period of the timeline that I'm automatically interested in because mm-hmm. it's sequel trilogy timeline. So that immediately engages me. Um, but I think more than that, I just really like the vibe of the show. I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of Studio Ghibli movies, mm-hmm. and I mean that as a really high compliment. It obviously isn't at the same level of quality, but there's just something about the vibe it has and the way the characters are written and some of the creature designs as well. So there's like the Office of Requisitions, for example, with um, Orca and Flix. And like just the creatures who run that place, they remind me so much of the like spider-legged guy from Spirited Away, where yeah. he's in charge of the little coal dust creatures. And yeah, I just love them. And it's really nicely acted and nicely written. And it was also great to hear Oscar Isaac back as Poe Dameron. Yeah, so just all round, I was very impressed. Yeah, same. Uh, it's hard to know where to start. Like, I just enjoyed it so much. Um, love the design style, love the voice acting love all the characters it's really hard to say who's my favorite to be honest Mm. um and obviously we're just talking about the first episode so it's just kind of thinking about where things can eventually go but it's just off to a really great start and one thing i noticed that i really actually appreciated was that we weren't introduced to all of the characters that they promoted previously in this first episode yes um they're kind of unfolding the story in a way that feels organic like you're following kaz's journey yeah. Um, so we'll we'll just meet people over time, as and when they fit the story. So that's cool. Yeah. No, definitely. Like, and it all felt very like busy and lived in, which I appreciated. So I think yeah, the backgrounds envir- are so rich. Yeah. So I think sometimes environments can be so empty. You know, like there's just nothing going on beyond the main characters. But I really felt like the Colossus was a real buzzing place. And just stuff like Aunt Z's Cantina. That was so mm-hmm. cool. Like, it was really nice to see another member of um, Uncar Plus species, but actually, yeah. like, a nice person. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is refreshing. Because <laughs> I know it yeah. speaks to my prejudice, but I don't know, I was just expecting her to be an asshole. Well, I think that's kind of what they played on, that it's like, oh, you think she's going to be another Uncar, but actually she's... I mean, she's obviously no-nonsense and self interested and motivated to an extent but it's in like a fun way yeah exactly it's like a lovable character yeah i found myself warming to kaz much more than i thought i would at first because he really seemed like in a good way um a kind of insert character for the children who'll be watching um Mm, it had this real feeling of like 
a fan being dropped into the sequel trilogy era and then being so excited to meet Poe and be rescued by him and then being so thrilled to like know that he was about to go and talk to Leia. The whole yeah. like, tell her I said hello thing was just so adorable. <laughs> it was adorable. I loved the way he was just like leaning against the door and then it opens and he looks like a complete prat in front of both of them. <laughs> yeah. It's highly amusing to me. Because then Poe leaves BB-8 behind to kind of keep an eye on him so it's like he has his little sidekick he's meeting all these heroes being given a mission it's like a little video game thing yeah so it's definitely very it's very cool yeah so there's obviously this question of who the spy is because kaz's whole mission is to identify who the first order spy is at colossus base based solely on what you saw in that initial opening two-parter like who would your guest be and it can be wildly wrong by the way so just pluck any name you want i don't want it to be any of these characters but <laughs> uh if i had to guess um based on this first episode and it's gonna break my heart if this is true i think it could be ego same <laughs> that's my guess as well I don't want it to be because he's one of my favourites and he's really intriguing and I love how he's like, no, Poe, I'm not interested in this. But for that reason, uh, I don't know. He's like very resistant to the resistance. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, same. Like, it's weird because it feels both not obvious at all and almost too obvious, which I don't know. I guess it's because he is like this mysterious guy and obviously he's positioned as this mentor to Kaz and this friend of Poe's and a nice person. And I think in these situations where there's someone who's actually operating for the bad guys, in air quotes, they are often the person you least expect. And when they're the person you least expect, that also tends to carry more dramatic weight. Like it would carry much more dramatic weight for Kaz and the story as a whole if it turned out to be Jaeger, as opposed to like, random suspicious person number four or something right yeah it that's the thing it's like what whatever it is it's probably going to be emotionally devastating for us and kaz when mm. it comes to light so it probably is going to be someone that he's actually grown quite close to yes um so i guess it would either be yiga tam or niku um <laughs> maybe niku is just completely putting it on maybe and that's not actually <laughs> imagine Maybe it'll be like the Darth Jar Jar situation. Niku's the mastermind <laughs> behind it all. Oh god, it would all be horrible. Like, I... can none of them be spies? Can they all just be friends forever? <laughs> Best friends, oh. <laughs> like Care Bears. Because yeah, another interesting thing to say is that um, there's an interview going around with someone from Resistance. And I believe they said that the first season of Resistance will get up to the events of The Force Awakens, which is exciting because that tells us that some serious shit is going to go down, basically. Yeah, I mean, so coming back to Kaz, we were theorising last week based on the interview with Brandon Orman about how Kaz grew up wealthy on Hosnian Prime. We were like, oh God, we know that something terrible is going to happen if his family is still there. And Mm. then the first episode kind of confirms that they are that his dad is a senator who obviously has yeah. a lot of expectations for Kaz and how he should be living his life. And then we get that angsty hologram scene where he's like, I'm going to do things my own way. Um, mm. And it's like, oh God, we we know what's going to happen. Yeah. And when he's saying like, I want to take this mission because that's my home and I want to protect it. And we know that ultimately that's going to fail. Yeah. Oh, so, oh, poor Kaz. Yeah. Dramatic irony. <sighs> yeah. So, oh, yeah. Intrigued to see where that's going to go. Definitely. Did you also find it really shady that Kaz's dad was conveniently invisible? It seemed like that had to be for a reason. Oh, I I didn't think about that actually. Yeah, like I found it very conspicuous. <laughs> what do you mean, like that he was intentionally obscuring himself? <sighs> like, or they maybe... were scrambling it from their end. I, I mean, like, more like in a meta sense. Like, perhaps right. he's a character who you might recognise from something else. Huh. Al- although I don't know who it could be, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it's just like... It just seemed a bit too convenient. And it's the sort of thing where I don't think you have that happen unless there's some reason. You know? It hadn't crossed my mind, but you could be right. 
Okay, we'll see. Yes, we'll see, yeah. It'll probably show up again at some point. Yeah, it's the sort of thing where if there is a payoff, it will happen this season, so. Yeah. Yeah, if not, if there's never any comeback to it or nothing else happens along those lines by the end of the season, then forget it, I was wrong. <laughs> well, that's okay. I mean, I do find it really interesting that his father calls the resistance those extremists. Um, yes. It's not surprising because that's how they're perceived in Bloodline. Like, mm. the whole thing about that is that Leia isn't taken seriously when she's saying that the First Order is this big threat and then starts the resistance because the New Republic just aren't going to listen. Um, but it's just cool to kind of get back to that era and see that that's how the existing senators are still thinking about it. Because it's like, what do these people think of Leia at this point? That yeah. they know that she's the daughter of Vader. Um, she's come out and talked about it to an extent and been like, this is what I'm going to do. But still, the resistance is pretty shady and secretive out of necessity. Yeah. So there can't be too much trust there. Yeah, so I would like to know if Kaz's dad, according to the classification established in Bloodline, um, was a populist or centrist. So the populists were the people who were with Leia, which was more about allowing individual planets to be autonomous, whereas the centrists wanted a centralised galactic government. And I would bet on Kaz's dad being a centrist, to be honest, given the way he talks about the resistance. And yeah, it's interesting because I think there's a legitimate possibility that Kaz's dad could even be a First Order sympathiser himself. That would be dramatic. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I actually think that that's, there's a good chance of that happening. Yeah. Because then that gives him more conflict. Exactly. I think there's going to be lots of angst going on with young Kazuda. Yeah, I mean, they kind of set it up. Like, he's obviously thankful in some sense that his father has done a lot for him, but also like, hey, he didn't actually ask me what I wanted. Yeah. Like, he's done all of these things for me, but they're mostly for himself. Hmm. Yeah, Nikaz's dad seems like a bit of an asshole. Yeah, it's hard because I, I yeah, I the more I think about it now, the more I'm like, oh, he probably is going to be part of the first order. I mean, calling the resistance extremists, I know that that's kind of how they were being perceived, but it's such a strong condemning of them so early on in the show. Yeah, I I don't know how much the kids would pick up on that, but. And again, it's the sort of thing where I'm not sure it would just be included to add texture. I think it's probably there for a reason. Mm. Like, as in there will be some sort of comeback to that later on in terms of his father's views. Yeah. So it seems like they're actually going to play... Well, we haven't seen his mother, if we're going to see her. But we were theorising last week that that's probably just going to be background info, but it actually seems like it's going to be more central to Kaz and his arc than we thought. Yeah. And if it is, then that's really exciting. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's going to be lots more action and lots more stuff tying into the main narrative than people expect from Resistance, which is really cool. And also another thing to say is I was impressed by how little flying there was. Based on how the show is promoted, I really was expecting each episode to be like a 20 minute like race scene with like pilots doing cool maneuvers in the sky. And it's not that is much more character based and it's much more plot based and it's much more based on the Colossus and I actually really appreciate that because that's what I want. I think all the flying scenes, they're beautifully done they're really well animated and they're exciting and there's always clear what's happening but for me those sorts of elements they're always best when they're kept brief like I wouldn't want to see a race be the focus of an entire episode so I like the balance they have Yeah, I think they're being used to further the storytelling and the character development so that's good in my book. It's not like an extended pod racing scene. As fun as that is, if you've only got 20 minutes of the episode, you kind of have to keep it pretty neat. Exactly. What do you think about Niku? Niku? Um, I-, I quite like him. He's funny and he's not too irritating. He's definitely not my favourite though. Um, and I'd say they use him the right amount because I think if he were used much more, then I'd probably find him annoying. But they've been quite restrained in their deployment of him, which I appreciate. How mm. about you? He's actually one of my favourites, but no, I don't fine. know if... It, no, no, I mean, I'm not saying it's sheepishly like, oh, I'm wrong. But it's probably <laughs> just because I have quite a different reading on him. So 
I work with um, a lot of neurodivergent children, mm-hmm. and he kind of reminds me of them. Oh, so that's I think, really sweet. I don't know if this is intentional from the writing, but I he seems to be coded to be somewhere on the spectrum for me. Okay. Um, like, he takes everything literally. He's quite naive and really positive and obviously has a very good heart and just wants to be friends with Kaz, you know, like, sees this new person and just goes for it. Um, yeah. I don't know. That's just kind of the impression I got, but obviously it's early days. And it's yeah. very possible that it wasn't intentional and they just wanted this this kind of character. Um, yeah. I know that I'm not the only one who read it that way, so... Yeah, no, I think that's a really interesting perspective. I think he could end up being very important for lots of people and yeah. lots of children who have autism, maybe. Yeah, that's a really interesting perspective I hadn't thought of. And yeah, I, I think seeing him that way, that he does become a more interesting character with like a real reason to be there, which is cool. Yeah, I think the only thing that concerns me is that if that's not intentional, and to be fair... um mostly the like the silly slapstick and like laughing at the character has mostly been towards Kaz so far to be honest yeah that's true um, Niku is obviously funny but it's not in like a mean-spirited way it's in a he's so endearing way so yeah. um the only thing that concerns me is that if it wasn't intentional but people are reading it that way including myself I just don't want them to like then step on any toes and upset anyone if they like change the characterization because I've seen some people theorizing that he could be the spy, and I'd be like, oh no, that would be really devastating. <laughs> yeah, oh man. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if that were the case, but. Right. Yeah. We will see. But my new favourite Star Wars line is, I'll just be outside pondering the weight of your deception. <laughs> That's an amazing line. So thank you, Niku. It is. And it's also well written as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which is really it's, cool. It's good. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's surprisingly witty, which I was not expecting. Yeah, I just really like it because, if, like, really, why wouldn't anyone take Kaz at his his word? Like, he comes into this place and he's like, yeah, I'm the best pilot in the galaxy. And, you know, to us, that sounds like a bit of an exaggeration. But to someone like Niku, it's, oh, wow, this guy's the best pilot. That's so exciting that we have him here. I'm going to tell everyone and get them excited, too. Yeah. So... Yeah, maybe it's it's a lesson for Kaz and his bravado. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And to be honest, I should be able to identify with Niku more because I take things super literally. Well, everyone I, does to an extent, right? There's always something. Yeah, to that an you extent, get, but... but yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, it's just it's something that we can all relate to on some level. So I think that's really powerful. Yeah. No, it's cool. Um, what do you think about Tam? Uh, I like her so far. She's mm-hmm. very no-nonsense, and she's obviously positioned to be quite abrasive in relation to Kaz, because Yiga's a little, you know, he's like, oh, if you're going to be here, you have to actually do your work, and I don't want to hear anything about the spying and all that. Yeah. Um, but Tam is, like, a peer as opposed to a mentor figure, so it's different. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing where they go with her, and I really like that she has her own stuff going on. She's, from her perspective... It's totally understandable why she'd be kind of annoyed with Kaz coming in because she's been working on this ship so that she can fly it and fulfill her dream. And then he just kind of waltzes in and just kind of takes over because that's what he's there to do. And it's like, oh, but you told me that I was going to have this. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, so her anger is very righteous, basically, in, in from that perspective. Yeah, so Kaz has to win her over and that's fair. So yeah we will see do you have any early shipping predictions oh no somehow i don't think that this show is going to provide me with any new ships well that's probably good to be honest (laughs) the one thing i actually did want to point out was that you know the opening where they they pan down and that r2 unit is revealed yes it reminded me of what ryan johnson had said about his alternative version of the opening for the last jedi that they were oh. going to pan down and it was going to be Finn's um, like bubble back to suit, but it was going to look briefly like a planet because that's obviously like the uh. traditional opening of a Star Wars movie. Yeah. It, fe- it felt like a deliberate homage to that. Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. I hadn't thought of that, but that makes a lot of sense. I just love seeing an R2 unit there. 
Yeah. With his cute colour scheme that complements Kaz's uniform. Yeah, no, it was a very striking way to start the episode out. Hmm. I, I do think that um Poe I I really think that the resistance must be pretty desperate for people, given how quick Poe was to say, Yep, you're a spy now, go Yeah, I see something in you, kid. <laughs> It's like, oh, okay. But that's fine. I can accept that as, like, kids show logic, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think they are pretty desperate for people, to be honest. Yeah. No, exactly. It's not a million miles away from the truth. It would be different if it were, like, General Hux. (laughs) It's like, yo, kid, be a spy. It's like, yeah, that's not how it would go. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. But although, you know, you said about shipping, not in terms of like active shipping, but I do kind of think that Flix and Orca are probably a couple. Yeah, I could see that. They've got a very comfortable relationship. Yeah, on the Star Wars databank, they're described as partners, which of course you can read as business partners, but. Mm -hmm. Hey. Yeah, no, I can see that. They're both of similar dimensions as well, Mm -hmm. despite the species difference. (laughs) <laughs> they were also alluding I think that Jaeger um, said repeatedly that he had history with Poe so obviously we don't know what that backstory is but there's <laughs> clearly unfinished business like when they meet and like Jaeger's like oh this guy and Poe's like slapping him on the shoulder and everything it's like <laughs> obviously they've known each other for a while like I think Jaeger says before Poe even joined the resistance um so yeah i want to know more about that yeah i'll tell you what i have a prediction for a ship that might happen but it's also too tropey to happen probably i could see kaz and tam eventually getting together i can see that too like it it could just as easily not happen it's kind of like the whole sabine and ezra thing right yes young young people thrown together and a bit cranky towards each other and then maybe they soften but it could just as easily just be like begrudging friendship yeah, exactly. I think the really blatantly obvious thing for them to do would be to put Kaz and Tora together, but I think that's way too blatantly obvious. And she also seems so young that I'd be like, mm, maybe not. Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell the characters' ages, to be honest. Yeah. Like, they emphasise that she's new to flying, or at least new to being an ace. Um, The whole thing about him, like, picking her and then regretting it is that she's new, young, and female, right? Yeah, he doesn't think that she's a threat. He thinks that she's the easy option. Everyone's like, "Uh oh!" <laughs> and I love how she then responds to that and is very. She's just so confident and like welcoming to him, but in this almost like passive aggressive way, like, "Oh, I'm glad you didn't explode." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I think everyone, including Cows, looks at her and they completely underestimate her and have a certain yeah. impression of how she'll be. But she's actually quite clever and sophisticated. She just balances that with this very bubbly ex- like personality. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I do look forward to seeing more of the aces generally because, yeah, we've barely seen any of them. And to be honest, even going into the next few episodes, they don't really feature at all. So right. it's good that they're taking it slowly and that they're not in this huge rush to introduce everyone. Yeah, I think the first season's meant to be 22 episodes. So I expect over time we'll get to know people quite easily. Okay, cool. Uh, have we said everything we want to say about Resistance? Um, I think so. There's not really much else we can talk about from the first episode and I don't want to spoil anything else for people, but I'm excited to talk about it every week now it's going to be fun to have this ongoing thing that develops and just have something to share i'm exactly. really excited that you're into star wars animation <laughs> i'm excited too it's going to be a fun ride <laughs> then the next thing we want to talk about is actually a return to it came from reddit Ooh. but this time i'd say it also involves some potential spoilers it's not really definite spoilers because it's mostly going to be speculation as usual but for that reason i'm going to put in the spoiler siren so what happened is that someone who is based in jordan um put a wonderful post on reddit that we're all very grateful for And so they put various photos of a desert and basically a whole bunch of Star Wars relevant like gear and these like odd cut out figures of aliens in like colourful robes positioned in the desert. Presumably as like reference for CGI to be inserted later. 
And yeah, then they put up a very helpful comment that contextualised everything. So that said. So I was driving through Wadi Rum, Jordan. I live in Jordan for some nice desert camping. And I happened to stumble across a big tent city with some props. Wadi Rum is a large desert nature preserve in in southern Jordan. A brief overview of what we saw. Saw several rigs that were supposed to be some sort of land speeders. One looked a lot like Ray's orange creamsicle speeder. These whizzed by rather quickly and I was not able to get a good photo. Pretty sure we saw Daisy Ridley, or perhaps another actress, getting a guided tour on a, ta- on a camel with a heavy police escort, which is amazing, that might be my favourite detail. Drove past the film set you see in the photo album. There were all sorts of tents, a lot of cut out alien figures, looked a lot like Nimodians, and pylon sort of things, looked like Jakku. There is a big tent city with trailers, large MSU style tents, and shipping containers. I'm guessing this is where they construct a lot of the props, etc. While trying to leave Wadi Rum the next day, we were told to take a different path as they were filming in a certain area using a lot of pyrotechnics. I won't share the exact location, Wadi Rum is a big place, but it will, it, but it will be interesting to see Wadi Rum in the finished product. Wadi Rum is used in a lot of movies, including Lawrence of Arabia, The Martian, and Rogue One. A lot of establishing shots of Jeddah were filmed there. And yeah, so that's what this poster said. So massive thanks to them, of course, because this is amazing stuff. And it's easily the most we've got from episode 9, at least since those photos that came out of Oscar Isaac and John Boyega filming. So yeah, it's exciting stuff. What did you think about this, Kirsty? Um, it it was cool to see. Um, it wasn't too surprising because we've been hearing about Jordan for a while, but it was very cool that he got photos. And it's just always nice when people bother to share the stuff with us. Yes. Um, I do want to note, yeah, that he says it was also the location for Jeddah. So mm. we're all assuming that it's Jakku, and it probably is because we'd heard rumours about that before, and it kind of fits with going back to Jakku but yes. there is a possibility that it's Jeddah yeah absolutely and yeah like of those two is there one that you'd be more intrigued to see return um I, I would guess I, I would just say Jakku because that's kind of what I expected and I think there is narrative potential for going back there and kind of revisiting Ray's home because she'll yeah. be in very different circumstances so yeah yeah. Same. Yeah. I would love to see a return to Jakku. So I think there's so much going on with that. And again, I don't want to like build up expectations or say this is definitely what's going to happen. But we know there's that stuff that was going on with like Palpatine being interested in Jakku and that sort of thing. So it'd be interesting if it was some sort of hub of the force. Like what what was the resolution to that in Empire's End again, Kirsty? Can you remember? Uh I mean, it's kind of the jumping off point for them going to the Outer Rim for the First Order. Okay. But in terms of, like, exactly what Palpatine had discovered, it was kind of just that it was this Force-sensitive place and he had the observatory there. But he had other observatories. That wasn't the only one. Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's not really, like, mystery solved or anything. Okay, yeah. But it's not unique. It's just there was something of potential there. As far as I remember, there's nothing unique that's established. It's just that it's strong with the Force and Palpatine was interested in it. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, it's so frustrating. It's, again, I feel like we're so close to understanding something bigger when we see these pictures and stuff, but we're really not. <laughs> that's why with those books, I always really try to enjoy them on their own terms because they're never going to give me this big secret that then spoils episode nine. <laughs> Yes. You know, it's never going to be like, oh, okay, so this is why Jakku matters. Um, in case JJ wants to go somewhere different. Like, they could have chosen not to go to Jakku at all. Yeah, of uh, course. Yeah, all of that stuff with the the books. Every time I read a new book, I'm like, yeah, I shouldn't get my hopes up because yeah, I, they need to be enjoyed on their own terms. Like, these authors don't have access to anything beyond what's already out there in star wars so yeah no which makes a lot of sense like do you think that based on it seeming to be quite a big concern out in jordan that there's a probability that this might be the part of the shoot that adam driver needed to 
get ready for? Uh, I don't know. I hadn't thought about that. I mean, wasn't he in London just last week giving that talk about Black Klansmen? He was, but I checked flight time, so only five hours between London and Jordan. So, <laughs> so what what I'm saying is, it's perfectly possible for him to jump on a plane after doing that BF- after doing that BAFTA thing, and go to Jordan. Of course, we can't say that's what happened, but it's possible. Sounds like the only person he thought might have been there was Daisy, and even that sounds like he was very far away, and it could just as easily have been someone else. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like we've got any more information on who was actually there filming. Um, yeah. So unless exactly. like Jason Ward comes out or something that he's heard or whatever, I think we'd, we're none the wiser, to be honest. Yeah. So that's what would be really exciting, knowing which actors were involved. Yeah. Well, that's why those photos of John and Oscar and everyone else, that was so exciting because it was just a little more context. Because this, it's like, okay, so we're going to some desert planet of some kind. It might be Jakku, it might be Jeddah, it might be somewhere else. But beyond that, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not... Feeling it's not about in the dark. Lot. Yeah. Like, yeah. If, you ha- if you had a confirmation of which planet it was supposed to be, then it would be like, oh, okay. Let's theorise as to what that could mean. Exactly. If they do go back to Jakku... Would you like them to bring up Ray's parents again at all? And do you think that's sort of inevitable? Uh, maybe, but not in a way that would change the story that we already have. I think it would just mm. build upon it. Right, And yeah. And it might be just like Ray reflecting on it. Because we don't really see her... We see her upset and reacting to what Kylo says at the end of The Last Jedi, but we don't see her explicitly accepting that that's what happened to her and moving on whereas i think if she went back to jakku and like even went back to her destroyer and kind of looked at those notches that she placed on the wall i Mm. think that could be a powerful moment for her like kind of saying goodbye to that yeah no that's true it could be very effective if people are hoping for ray's parents to suddenly be revealed as someone else that we know i yeah yeah i don't think that's gonna happen yeah i think that might actually again this is speculating if she does go back to jakku and like reflect on her parents i think that might be a good opportunity to drive it home to the viewers that yeah her parents were just nobodies who were assholes and didn't value their child i will be frustrated if that's all it is because they they shouldn't have to spell that out at this point yeah like i i know that and you know that but think to like return of the jedi because so many people after empire strikes back refused to accept that vader was actually luke's father they actually had to have obi-wan confirm it to luke again like that's the reason why that scene is there as long as there's something more to it if that's literally its purpose and it doesn't tell us anything new i will be very frustrated because that's the audience's stupidity actually shaping the narrative i i don't think that they would just go back to Jakku for that reason. Good. There would be other stuff going on on the planet. Like, and even in the set report, they say about pyrotechnics and like, yeah. all this sort of big flashy stuff going on. I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I really try not to be too salty about the race parents thing, but it is beyond parody at this point. Yeah. No, Let it is it a bit go. ridiculous. Like, it's not yeah. the thing that's most interesting about Ray. <laughs> But for some people, unfortunately, it is the most interesting thing about well, her. But, that, but, but that's, that's what I'm saying. It shouldn't be pandered to, and that shouldn't be the point of whatever scene they're making. Yeah. I don't think it will be, but if it was, I would be kind of annoyed. Yeah, same. Yeah, no, you can't service that segment of the audience too much. Um, yeah. Oh, and then there was just one other aspect of this to bring up, which is that Star Wars Newsnet published a sort of follow-up to the reddit photos um could you summarize what the stars newsnet article went into Kirsty? yeah it basically said that they they'd heard rumors of jordan so that kind of backed up what we saw from wadi rum mm-hmm. um, and then they'd heard um more show- shooting location rumors in ireland and italy okay um, with sources suggesting that jj could be making callbacks to planets we've seen throughout the entire episodic saga um because italy could be naboo um, mm-hmm. Ireland, I guess, could be Octu. 
And I apparently they've heard、um, something about filming in California, which of course could be anything, but your mind immediately flies to Endor, right? So I think the theory here, and this is speculation, is that because it's the last, supposedly the last episode of the saga,、um, that he's going to be doing all these different callbacks to elements across the trilogies. Yeah. No, it'd be interesting to see something like this.、Um... I don't take this rumor too seriously because Stars Newsnet have published similar stories in the past. So, like they said, that Endor and similar planets would appear in the Last Jedi. I think. Well,、and、the big thing that... was Mustafar Invader's castle, right? Yeah, that's right, in Mustafar. <laughs>、um, yeah, and obviously none of that came to pass. Like I completely believe that they believed what they were reporting. I don't think they were being insincere. But I'm just not confident that they have the most reliable sources when it comes to the sequel trilogy films, at least. So yeah, we'll see. But it is tantalising stuff. Yeah, I think with this kind of thing, I'll keep it in mind, and then if anything else comes out to corroborate it, take a look at it more seriously. Yeah. Um, because I, I know that Italy has been mentioned a couple times by people, but again, it's like hard to know what is actual. You know, this is backed up by something trustworthy, and whether it's more on the speculation, oh, I really want to see Naboo side of things, which is totally valid. You know, that could be really cool, but it's hard to get attached to those ideas right now. Yeah, I know that some of those early rumors about Italy being used for filming locations, it was because there was like an American movie filming like near Lake Como, which is、right. where they filmed Attack of the Clones, but that American movie was like a Jennifer Aniston film. <laughs> So very much not Star Wars. Yeah, that's a big thing that seems to happen a lot. Something else will be filmed somewhere, and then people will assume that it's something else, and the rumor mill just goes off. Exactly, spiraling, spiraling. Um, right. So I think that's us done. Then is there anything else, Kirsty? Sadly, not. <laughs> oh, yeah.、So、this is us, like seriously, trying to spin out the little nine tidbits that we're getting. Yeah, exactly. We're very thirsty. <laughs> Wonder when we'll get a title. Yeah, probably early next year. If、I、previous、so. examples or anything to go by, you never know. There's a slight, slight possibility that JJ could give us a gift in November, like a short teaser or something. But I doubt that, to be honest, because、yeah. last time they did that was for Force Awakens, and at、yeah. the time that teaser came out, they'd actually finished shooting the movie, and they're Like barely going to be halfway through shooting episode nine by November. So, exactly.、Yeah. At the very least, I would just hope that we get something solid before celebration. So, like last year, we got the title. Was it January or February? Yeah, something、um, like that. Just to keep us fed and、yeah. speculating. I think they'll give us something. For us, a bone. <laughs> <laughs> Oh goodness!、Um, right, yeah. So to close things off, I'm Rachel, and you can find me at Stars Nonsense on Tumblr, and at Journal of the Stars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye. Bye. bye.